Good evening and welcome to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. My name is Mark Dennis, and joining me in the studio this week is my co-host, as always, Francis Harry. Francis, how are you? I'm doing very well, Mark. It's such a joy and a blessing to be here with you again tonight and with our listening audience. Now, Francis, I have to confess, I see a little squint in your eyes you say that, because we both know <laughs> yes. that we've literally had to go through purgatory in order to get to this program. <laughs> Which on is purgatory. on purgatory. <laughs> yeah, uh, you want to share those details with sure, our audience? Sure, it's, um, <clears throat> it's always interesting, I think, to, um, to understand how um, the um, spiritual... Um, warfare. Yeah, okay, I wasn't going to use the term, but I think you're right. Spiritual warfare uh, can affect those who are trying to do the Lord's work, and of course we do it with our faults and failings and uh, all of our shortcomings. But nonetheless, we um, actually entered the studio a couple weeks ago, Francis and I, <clears throat> to tape this particular segment uh, because we had some schedule conflicts. Uh, I won't even relate how complicated that was. For instance, we did it in two segments between another show, and uh, we had a guest and so forth. Very, very challenging. And then uh, Equipment I was, challenges. Uh, yeah. Yes. I, I was notified afterwards as I was away. I was out of town. Uh, that, in fact, unfortunately, the, uh, the taping did not take. So uh, here we are again to talk about uh, St. Therese and her teaching on purgatory, which, by the way, is a wonderful teaching for... Uh, our listening audience. I do uh, think it's terribly important that we cover this topic, especially in the month of November when we uh, dedicate our prayers to uh, the Holy Souls, and Therese has such a wonderful teaching for us, so we're going to cover that this evening. But we're going to begin, as we always begin, in prayer. Francis, would you lead us in prayer, please? Yes, and I've taken uh, two small prayers of St. Therese and put them together for us tonight. So let's begin, as we always do, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal Father, since Thou hast given me for my inheritance the adorable face of Thy divine Son, I offer that face to Thee, and I beg Thee, in exchange for this coin of infinite value, to forget the ingratitude of souls dedicated to Thee, and to pardon all poor sinners. O oh my God, I beg you, pay the debt that I have acquired with regard to the souls in purgatory, but do it as God, so that it be infinitely better than if I had said my offices for the debt. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, again, as I said, listeners, our... Uh, our program this evening focuses on purgatory. I'm uh, certainly not, uh, Francis and I will not be giving a, a lengthy teaching on purgatory, although we will touch on the grace and the mercy of the Church's position on purgatory and purgation, the cleansing and the preparation of our entry into heaven. Of course, um, it's important, I think, Francis, that we reiterate something that um, perhaps is not as well and often articulated in our Church, and that is Purgatory is not fundamentally uh, about the removing or the correcting of our condition with regard to sins. In other words, uh, yes, it is our, our lack of love that lands us in a condition of purgation. Uh, but for, uh, to, to be fair, we are in that um, uh, purgation, that opportunity to cleanse and purify our hearts and souls, even in this life. The... Uh, fires of purgatory, as they're, as they're written about. And of course, we don't know the actual 
a physical or spiritual manifestation of this process of healing and cleansing, which is really the term the terminology we ought to be using. Yes. Uh, but but what we do know is it is not, um, if you will, a correction for the life that we led. It is preparation for the eternity that we will live. That's what purg- uh, purgatory is. That's what purgation is. It is not uh, sort of balancing the scorecard of our sins, but it is really preparing us for union with God. Right. I read something today, in fact, that really um, intrigued me, caught my eye, and it was that prayer and purgatory are thresholds to glory. That was the name of the article. And I was really um, taken by this article in how it was relating how in prayer we are uh, purifying our, uh, giving ourselves opportunities to have contact with God, you know, opening ourselves up to His presence and to His love, and thus be purified of our sinful nature. And also purgatory, in that state of purification, does the same thing. It, it strengthens us, it purifies us, because we know the Beatitude, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And we want to see God, so we want to be pure in heart. Yeah, I think purifying is a better word. In fact, you use the word purifying. I like that word as opposed to purgatory. It has unfortunately acquired a meaning and um, a, a, a lexicon all its own, if you will, about suffering and, and penalty and, and pain, uh, That though that may be true. That yeah. may well be well, true. Well, the word purgatory comes from purge, you know. Right. So. But, but we have to understand it in context. You know, I was part of a retreat this weekend, and... Um, uh, the, the uh, phrase was offered. Um, no one sort of, you know, uh, makes it into heaven just by making it over the line. In other words, nobody just barely gets into heaven. That's not the way it works. We, <laughs> we hear that said about some maybe uh, folks who have lived a rough life, and we hear, oh, that person, you know, last hour, they just barely made it into heaven. We know the reality is nobody just barely makes it into heaven. Nothing perfect, or, or imperfect, rather, can enter heaven. So we're all perfect in order to go there. Now, there are, let's say, various degrees of the love that we may have developed uh, in our lifetime, but nothing imperfect enters heaven. So nobody just right. barely gets into heaven, right? Right, right. But we might have to go through the mudroom to get there. <laughs> we might have to go through the uh, difficult time. And, you know, the, the teaching of purgatory... Um, as reflected in the uh, Catechism, is based largely on the councils of Florence and Trent. And it also, of course, has a scriptural basis. Um, It it began in Maccabees, in the Old Testament, of course, where we talk about uh, praying for the dead, and we know, therefore, that uh, it is a righteous thing to pray for the souls that have gone before us. But even in 1 Corinthians 3.15, we read, uh, if it is burned up, and this is, of course, uh, Paul talking about a person's life, uh, if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. And so, of course, uh, we get this uh, this imagery of the uh, of the flames and the, the purifying nature. Of course, we have to remind ourselves this purification, as is everything in our life, is nothing but God's love. It is nothing but the fire of the Holy Spirit reaching out to purify us and whatever. Uh, aspects of that work we were not able to accomplish in uh, the material uh, experience of our life uh, we accomplished later in the pure spiritual. Of course, that's uh, what we call the state of purgation. Uh, 
First um, Peter also says, First Peter one seven. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is exactly what you said, Francis, about uh, moving to glory. Well, you know, I, I have to bring it down to a very basic level with this story. Do you mind if I tell a little story Not here? At all. <laughs> okay. All right. This is a, a story called um, Heavenly Rates. And this man dies and goes to heaven. And, of course, St. Peter meets him at the pearly gates. And St. Peter says, well, here's how it works. And this is so much the way we think of it, too. Um, you need 100 points to make it into heaven. So you tell me all the good things you've done, and I'll give you a certain number of points for each item, depending on how good it was. It's like a game show, right? <laughs> when you reach 100 points, you get in. Okay, the man says. I was married to the same woman for 50 years and never cheated on her, even in my heart. Why, that's wonderful, says St. Peter. That's worth three points. Three points? He says, well, um, I attended church all my life and supported its ministry with my tithe and service. Terrific, says St. Peter. That's certainly worth a point. One point? Golly. Well, okay, how about this? I started a soup kitchen in the city and worked in a shelter for homeless veterans. Fantastic. That's good for two more points, he says. Two points, the man cries. At this rate, the only way I get into heaven is by the grace of God. St. Peter says, come on in. <laughs> <laughs> You're in. <laughs> You're in. It's grace. It's all grace. That's what Therese says. It's all grace. All is grace. Well, that leads us uh, right to Therese's teaching. And, of course, uh, uh, Therese is not just a, um, uh, a model of, uh, of the divine love. She is also a saint, and she's also a doctor of the Church. And in order... And to be acknowledged as the doctor of the church, you must have offered both in your life uh, and perhaps in your writing, which is true in her case, uh, both uh, her life and her writings, something unique, something special, something uh, apart from uh, what other great saints, albeit great saints, may have offered, but it is something distinct and unique. In a book uh, by Conrad de Meester, a Belgian Carmelite priest, uh, titled The Power of Confidence, he writes about what is probably the centerpiece of what we think uh, of St. Therese uh, as, and this is her teaching on the way of spiritual childhood. Uh, and towards the back of this text, uh, Father Demeester has a brief section on Therese and her teaching on purgatory. And he uses this quote uh, from Therese, I know that the fire of divine love is more sanctifying than the fire of purgatory. What a, what a profound statement. Oh, this is a yes. simple little 20-year-old girl, of course she was probably not even 20 when she wrote that line, but um, who never traveled a great deal. She, of course, uh, was able to visit uh, Rome, but uh, uh, never uh, achieved her, her personal goal, which was to be a missionary and to travel uh, throughout Asia. We know and we believe, of course, in many ways that her missionary work uh, continues even to this day and, of course, spread throughout the world. She's one of the most popular saints of the 20th century. So uh, we won't get into the irony of that. But okay. what a profound statement. I know that the fire of divine love 
is more sanctifying than the fire of purgatory. Okay. What is she saying to us, Francis? Well, I'm glad you asked that because uh, we all have this concept of what this fire of purgatory is like. In fact, we've had saints describe it as a real fire um, and the horrendous pains and sufferings that people are going through to purify them or heal them of their attachments or their sins. But this fire of divine love, oh, man, that's the fire of, of God's love, you know? That's, that's God's um, love for us, and it is manifested now in our lives. But we typically aren't looking at it. We're not seeing it because we're um, probably not praying enough um, or we're not being personal enough. We're doing rote prayer and we're not engaging with the heart. Um, what do you have to so add? So, are that? you are you suggesting, Francis, that it's not simply by acts of devotion and attendance at mass and the number of rosaries that's not going to get us into this state of divine love? No. Is that what you're saying? I think you have to be praying. <laughs> is what I think. I think you need the mass. You need the sacraments. Absolutely, but you have to have a personal relationship. You have to know God as Father, as a loving Father, and as Teresa of Avila always says, you know, have this. Um, and frequent, intimate conversation with him whom we know loves us. That's what mental prayer is. And if we practice prayer, we'll begin to put on the eyes of Christ, and we'll be able to see uh, the way he sees and and to see what he wants and to please him. Because Therese, the little flower, was, was an expert, not just at doing the will of the Father, but at pleasing the Father. I think that goes beyond yeah, and I, I, of course, was teasing. I think uh, we know that at the end of the day, we must do all those things, absolutely. We must participate in the sacraments and, and um, uh, take responsibility for the acts of devotion and deep, intimate prayer. We have to take time for prayer. It's not um, uh, uh, you know, simply a matter of 15 minutes in the morning or uh, saying goodnight to the Lord at, uh, at uh, the evening hour. But beyond that, we know what what we ultimately have to do is abandon ourselves to the Lord. And we're going to come back to that term, abandonment, in just a moment. But um, I want to go back to Father Demeester's teaching on spiritual childhood and the development of love, because Therese's very life presents something very interesting for us, an understanding of a movement of what we understood as childhood in the material sense into a spiritual childhood. Therese never really grew up. I mean, this is not a criticism. This is a an acknowledgment, and John Paul's going to say something about uh, that uh, depth of spiritual childhood in just a moment from a, uh, a text that he wrote. But uh, Therese was able to transform her affinity to the childhood experience into her very deep spirituality in recognition that she was a perpetual child of God. And this is a challenge for so many of us, I, I think, as adults, Francis, we've talked about this before. We find it very difficult uh, to re-enter that spiritual childhood and acknowledge God as Father, and that God has the same um, uh, compassion and kindness and desire to support and defend and protect us uh, as our parents had when we were little children. Of course, there are anomalies to that, and some are, are not perfect parents, but uh, the, the ideal image of God as Father is that Father who is all-loving, all-passionate, all-concerned, all-caring, and all-protective of His child. And for many of us who have uh, perhaps uh, matured uh, in the rough and tumble of this world, we've, we've found it very difficult to return to the idea of spiritual childhood. And I think part of that is because we think that we, we've got to earn things. We've got to grow up and be 
independent and do things on our own, and so we're going to earn our way to heaven. And that's just not the way Therese is teaching us. She's saying it's, it's love is going to be given us. All we have to do is receive it. In fact, all those the works that we do, that we merit, that we think we're earning, they're usually filled with a lot of pride. So there's usually a lot of sinfulness that needs to be purged from all of that. So she decided that she would go to heaven empty-handed, and therefore only all that she could offer would be the Father's works, because she would have empty hands, because she would give them away. As soon as she did anything, she'd offer it up to the Father right then and there. And as we're going to see, that's exactly how she created the space that allowed the Holy Spirit to fill her with love. Because, of course, we as human beings uh, have a certain capacity to love. There's no question. And we can practice uh, the, the patience and the kindness. Love is patient and kind, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, the, the compassion, the uh, simplicity, and all the elements uh, that surround love. But we have limitations because of our woundedness, and we have to move beyond that, and ultimately we have to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us with that love. Let's return to Scripture for just a moment. I want to cover this section about, uh, frankly, Therese's credibility to teach us about love, and then we'll hear the message that he, she has to offer us on purgatory. In 1 Peter 4, 8, we read, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. So this is returning back to her statement of sanctifying fires of purgatory. She's uh, helping us understand, I think, that, as I said earlier, purgation, the purification, is nothing but the love of the Lord enrapturing us, if you will, uh, and this happens both in this life and in the next, um, and, and we experience it perhaps as fire or intense heat or a purification of the things that are inconsistent with what must enter heaven, nothing impure enters heaven, um, and she's teaching us that that's really the reason that we should have such confidence, again back to Conrad de Meester's title, uh, The Power of Confidence, we should have such confidence to the degree that we have such love. And we're going to find the scriptural uh, evidence for that in a moment. But I want to go to John Paul II's um, a document on Therese, uh, where he says, Thus we can rightly recognize in the saint of Lisieux the charism of a doctor of the Church. Because of the gift of the Holy Spirit she received for living and expressing her experience of faith, and because of her particular understanding of the mystery of Christ, that assimilation was certainly favored by the most singular natural gifts, but it was also evidently something prodigious due to a charism of wisdom for the, from the Holy Spirit. And what John Paul is saying here is that St. Therese was granted a special grace from the Holy Spirit, which made her particularly qualified to enlighten us about the true nature of love. And she does that by you know, giving us this understanding, this profound understanding of spiritual childhood. And so she helps us understand the beginnings of love within our own hearts, and that's very remarkable. And where does this love begin? Where does it start? Well, in 1 John 4.19, again, Therese, uh, drawing from Scripture herself, teaches us this. We love because he first loved us. He loved us as his children but we must retain or reacquire this childlike confidence in this love. This is difficult to understand. But again, using the example of a child running to their parents' arms or a child frightened, and we lose, uh, uh, I love Francis, and I always uh, uh, think of this, 
the um, image, the icon of our mother of perpetual help. Mm-hmm. If you remember that icon, of course, uh, the, the Savior is leaping into our Blessed Mother's arms, and one of his uh, sandals is dangling from a foot, and you can imagine that he was running from something and you know, the, literally shedding his shoes as he jumped into his mother's arms. And that's the image we want to have of ourself. You know, life presents many trials, many challenges, many difficulties, but we have to remember at the end of the day, we must have confidence in the love of the Father. We must have confidence in his willingness to take everything in our life and make it right. Now, that doesn't mean we will experience that in this material life. This is not our end uh, state. Um, We are striving for eternity in union with God. But in this spiritual confidence that St. Therese teaches us, in this growing in divine love, we prepare ourselves to accept this love that the Lord is prepared to give us. And just like the children, when they're scared, they run to Mama, run to Papa. So should we go to our Heavenly Father. And, and you know, these, our children, they don't sit there and decide, hmm, well, will my mom or dad help me with this or not, you know? No, they just go trusting, you know, that they will be taken care of. So, you know, that helps us remember that we can go to the Heavenly Father and we will be taken care of. It is an act of faith. But in the, in the physical realm, we see the act of um, uh, manifestation of that uh, happening, and that will happen in the spiritual realm as well. And what does uh, St. Teresa tell us we need uh, to have? She says it's a trust and a confidence. There was a sister in her own convent, uh, uh, Sister Maria Philomena, uh, who apparently uh, had expressed to St. Therese on many occasions, oh, it's very unusual to to avoid purgatory. No, 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 no. Most souls go to purgatory. You can plan on spending time in purgation and needing to be cleansed. And here's what St. Therese, I'm going to ask you to read it, uh, Francis. What did St. Yes. Therese say to her? Therese says, you do not have enough trust. You have too much fear before the good God. I can assure you that he is grieved over this. You should not fear purgatory because of the suffering there, but should instead ask that you not deserve to go there in order to please God who so reluctantly imposes this punishment. As soon as you try to please him in everything and have an unshakable trust, he purifies you every moment in his love, and he lets no sin remain. And then you can be sure that you will not have to go to purgatory. I think that's wonderful that she points out that two things, please him in everything and have an unshakable trust. And, and then she, she believes that he will purify her now in every moment of life rather than having to wait for this after death. So this is the kind of love we're talking about, this, this confident, trusting, abandoned, surrendered love. Yeah, and again, I want to go back, and we said it at the beginning of the discussion, the conversation, Francis, that so many Catholics, unfortunately, are schooled in this uh, perspective, but they uh, continue to mature it as we grow older, and we Fear. Um, in fact, I know many Catholics who reject the idea that there is a, uh, a need, perhaps, for purgation, cleansing, purifying uh, after this life, for some. Um, and so we fear it, and we fear it because we base it on ourselves. We look at ourselves and we say, well, I, I can't be ready. There are imperfections. I accept that. I acknowledge that. We still wrestle with uh, you know, our, our human weakness and our woundedness. And so we rely on ourselves 
And by virtue of that, we fear. We fear that God somehow is looking to punish us, that he's looking to, uh, uh, you know, use justice to correct us. You know, I heard uh, a great quote, I think it's from C.S. Lewis, that said, absolutely fear God. Look to God's justice before you sin, hopefully so that you won't sin. But after you've fallen, after you've sinned, look to God's mercy. Mm, Look to God's love. Acknowledge God as Father and know that he has only the best in mind for you. God's purifying, in whatever form it may come, whether in this life or in the next, is only his love. It's never his anger. It's only his love. And it is the way that we accept or potentially reject that love uh, that results in our suffering and pain. And as Therese tells us, his mercy is greater than his justice. Well, we're going to pick up on Therese's teaching when we come back from the break, and we want to have uh, a, a continued conversation, Francis, about exactly what she's saying about the acquiring of this love and building on this idea of the simplicity and confidence of spiritual childhood. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home in Louisiana on 580 AM KJMJ in Alexandria, 1360 AM KNIR in New Iberia, 89.7 FM KBIO in Natchitoches, 91.1 FM KOJO in Lake Charles, in Mississippi on 88.1 FM WOLM in Diverville, in Ohio at 1600 AM WULM in Springfield, 88.7 FM WHJM in Anna, in Pennsylvania on 88.1 FM WHHN in Holiday in Texas on 1250 AM KDEI in Port Arthur, in Wisconsin at 91.3 WRMW in Peshtigo, and on the World Wide Web at www.radiomaria.us.
Welcome back to uh, Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Uh, just to catch us up, Francis, of course, we're talking about St. Therese of Lisieux and her teachings on purgatory. We've established uh, her credibility through John Paul II, uh, no, no lesser uh, uh, spokesperson than that, of her ability to teach us about the science of divine love. And she relates the development of this um, confidence that she acquired in maturing in spiritual childhood, constantly seeing herself uh, as a child of God as, uh, and God as Father, um, and that through that she was able to mature her own spirituality, her dependence on God, and acquire, uh, through grace, of course, um, divine love. And this divine love, from her perspective, prepared her for purgatory, whatever that might be. She didn't anticipate uh, uh, simply being able to pass through it, but uh, she also knew that she wouldn't fear it. In fact, we, we discovered in the uh, uh, quote uh, to her uh, friend in the, um, in the convent, Sister Maria Philomena, uh, that she chastised uh, other sisters for their apparent and in, uh, inordinate fear of purgatory. And their uh, lack of trust. And their lack of trust, exactly. Yeah. So if we have trust, we could hope to go straight to heaven. If we have this trust and this great um, act of faith and this pure love, we, we do need to be purified. There is no doubt about that. But we can do that on this earth if we allow God to do what he wants to do. But we have to give our consent. We have to be willing to work with God. So many of us want to run from God. And I ask this question so many times in, in uh, uh, conversations or where I have an opportunity to speak about this particular topic, and I'll say, you know, how many of us have said in our lives, I'd like to go to heaven today? I, You know, Lord, if you want to reach down, uh, I'm not going to take the action myself, but if you want to reach down and grab me and bring me home, I'm okay with that. How many of us have said that? I suspect there are probably many hands in our listening audience raised right now, or at least some heads nodding. <clears throat> but at the same time, we have to ask ourselves this question. Would you want to spend eternity in the condition that you find yourself right now? Uh, do you have enough love? Do you have enough patience? Do you have enough kindness? Are there any judgments still going on in your mind about uh, you know, certain people, the, uh, the brother-in-law who annoys you, or the parent who sometimes you find uh, difficult, or the child, more to the point, uh, who sometimes you find... Are you really ready to go... Today. Yeah, can you imagine if we had a heaven full of people that hadn't been purified? I don't think it would be heaven, would it? I don't it? think it would be much of a Thank heaven. God we have a purgatory. <laughs> but I say, Mark, I challenge you and all of our listeners, let's, let's see if we can do purgatory not. Let's ask the Lord to help us cooperate with Him so that we may be purified in this life through His divine love rather than the divine fire. Yeah, so... What Francis is saying is, if we still have these tendencies to judgment, these tendencies to impatience, you know, we're not talking about sort of glaring sins here. I mean, these are the things that, uh, as we begin to mature in the spiritual life and we've moved past um, the, the, the early stages where we've left the, the major conflicts that we had with God behind, we've purified to some extent, um, now we're working on the acquisition of virtue, and really purifying our heart, because we've said nothing imperfect can enter heaven. So now we're at that stage, and, and John, uh, 1 John 4.18, has good counsel for us here. 
There is no fear in love, John writes, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We fear these things because we acknowledge that we are judgmental or that we're impatient or that we don't have our act together. And though we may say, Lord, I'm ready, please take me now, the reality is we know we're not ready to be in a state of perfect love. We still have fears. If we still fear purgatory, as St. Therese was saying to her compatriot in the convent, if you're still fearful, then you're really not ready for purgatory. Now, you may yet um, um, need some purgation, but if you're fearful of it, we know that you're not made perfect in love. That sort of perspective looks at God's justice and acknowledges its own sinfulness, and therefore the soul fears. But we've got to move beyond that. Well, and I have to interject and put here what St. John the Cross says about the least act of pure love has more importance in the eyes of God and is more useful for the Church in general and for the soul in particular than all the other good works put together. So the least act of pure love. Now, what this reminds me of is when Therese writes that she wants people to remember, it was a character named Paisy or something like that, and she was also thinking about the thief, you know, there on the cross right beside Jesus. And she's saying, you know, he stole heaven. <laughs> she wants to be like the thief that right. steals heaven. Right. So how does that happen? Because he makes the perfect act of love, this pure act of love, because he's going in faith to Jesus. In the right. midst of all this horror and all this suffering, he turns to Jesus and says, remember me. Yeah, and it's not the act per se. It's not the physical act. It's not the words. It's not the intellectual assent. We have to recognize this. Divine love is a spiritual purification. We can predispose ourselves to it. The work is done by the Holy Spirit. Let's yes. acknowledge that. The yes. work is done by the Holy Spirit. But it was done for the thief on the cross. Why? He made a perfect act of love, and the Holy Spirit, as Scripture says, poured itself out into this man's heart. Mm-hmm. Right? So the Lord can do this work however he chooses, whenever he chooses, but we must dispose ourselves to it. We must move beyond our fear and our doubts and our our lack of confidence that the Lord will do it by stopping the belief that somehow it's dependent on us. That's what the sin meant. Well, I see sin. I have an eliminated sin. I have fear. Therefore, I'm not ready to receive perfect, holy, and divine love. Well, and it's painful to be corrected, isn't it? I mean, when we have to discipline our kids, they don't like it, and we don't like doing it as parents. But uh, it has to happen because the correction is loving, because we want them to be better. And just so the Father is with us, the Heavenly Father. And so, you know, let's do our purgatory on earth. Let's get the suffering down here, because it, you know, it merits grace. You know, when we unite it, with the holy face, as the first prayer tonight indicated, we offer that holy face, or we unite our suffering with the suffering of Christ, it has merit. So let's offer our suffering up in union with Christ. Well, and that's the important point, I think. It's not suffering for suffering's sake. It's suffering that drives us toward love. You know, we could go into a theology about this idea of suffering and how it it transmutes us into loving beings. <clears throat> but w- we want to make sure we understand this sort of sequence of uh, Therese's teaching. First of all, it's not our sins that prevent us from going to heaven. It's not our sins. It's our lack of love. Love is a choice, as you said, Francis, yes, like the thief choice. on the cross. Love is a choice, and making that choice 
then the Holy Spirit can do his work whenever and however and to whatever extent he chooses um, once we've opened the vessel, if you will. And also the emptying. I want you to say something about Therese's teaching on emptying. You were talking about going with empty hands, but what is Therese's teaching about needing to empty ourselves? Well, she writes, What pleases him, meaning God, is that he sees me loving my littleness and my poverty, the blind hope that I have in his mercy. This is my only treasure. The weaker one is, without desires or virtues, the more ready one is for the operations of this consuming and transforming love. God rejoices more in what he can do in a soul humbly resigned to its poverty than in the creation of millions of suns and the vast stretch of the heavens. And this is why St. Therese of Lisieux uh, is considered by John Paul not only a doctor of the Church, a doctor of divine love, but he refers to her in this very same writing that we quoted earlier as a doctor for the third millennium. A doctor for the third millennium, I think, because of the confusion in our era with this idea that we seem to have adopted that, you know, we've sinned and therefore we've got to make up for that sin and we've got to suffer for that sin. And we somehow along the way lost the idea, some anyway, have lost the idea. No, it's still all about love. It's still all about purifying our hearts in love. And how do we purify our hearts in love? Is it a series of acts? Is it a series of effort? Is it all about struggle? Is it all about the things we do? No, that's the trap. If we think it's all about everything we do, then we'll never acquire love, because love is ultimately disposing ourselves to the reception of the Holy Spirit working within us. And it's this littleness, this childlike demeanor, this spiritual childhood... Poverty. ...that Therese talks about that predisposes us. Yes. You know, uh, John of the Cross also talks about needing to empty the caverns of our soul so that the Holy Spirit, like an ocean, can fill us with his love. Huh. We have to stop believing that we can do all of this work on our own. There is a responsibility. There are pieces of it we must fulfill. But the greatest piece we must fulfill is remain confident in God. Yes. Remain confident that God wants to do this work in us. Stop believing that somehow it's Every little failure pushes us back, and it leads us to judgment, and it leads us to fear, and it leads us to doubt. Stop believing that somehow God's limited. He, he's only limited by our unwillingness to let him do this work in Absolutely. us. And we can overcome that. Well put. And, well, that leads us right into that um, beatitude of blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> we can have it on earth. All we have to do is be poor and open ourselves up to this great fatherly love. And then what do we mean by this brokenness of spirit, or poor in spirit? Because, you know, of course, the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew 5, 5 and beyond, uh, themselves are difficult, uh, uh, Francis, for many people to understand. You read the Beatitudes and you say, boy, this, this is how I might define a loser in modern-day society. And again, <laughs> I think that's why John Paul II says that Therese is the... Uh, the uh, doctor for the third millennium, in our, you know, go get them society and the need to accomplish and to achieve and so forth, if you read the Beatitudes, and certainly this idea of poor in spirit, would lead one to believe, well, wait a minute, where's the victory in that? How have I accomplished anything in that? What is it uh, that, that God's really asking us? Well, he never leaves us wanting. In Psalm fifty-one seventeen, we read, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. You will not despise.
despise. Remember, this consuming and transforming love must empty us of self. It's self that got us into trouble to begin with. And that's not to say that we don't have responsibilities to fulfill. But all of that responsibility is allowing the Lord to do the work within us. It's disposing us so that the Lord can reach down and purify our hearts. And how do we do that? As Therese did, through prayer, through littleness, through confidence, through developing this radical dependency on God and acknowledging that God must ultimately do this work in us and our responsibility beyond working ourselves away from, uh, uh, you know, uh, sinful nature and all the rest of it, that we can control the piece of it that we can control. And this gives us great great hope, doesn't it? Um, Like from Romans 5, verse 5, And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So this requires that we empty ourselves to make room in our hearts, to let God fill us, and then we are not only filled with love, but also with the confidence that Therese speaks of. Well, um, Francis, you were reading a quote actually earlier because we were talking about the balance of the programs for the month, and we're going to be doing Elizabeth of the Trinity, which I'm very excited about. Francis knows I have a great <laughs> devotion. It's our fa- his favorite thing. <laughs> uh, I kid you not, I carry a, a picture of uh, Blessed Elizabeth around with me at all times. I have great devotion to her, and I hope I'll be able to communicate. Francis and I will be able to express uh, uh, why it is that I, at least I have such a great devotion to her. She's a, a wonderful saint, uh, and I would argue an equally wonderful saint for uh, for this millennium. But you, you provided a quote which we were going to use arguably uh, later in the month, but I'd like you to, to go ahead and offer that to our listeners now. Well, I, I have two of them, actually, so I'm, I'm going to start with the one you're, you're not expecting. <laughs> um, this one is it's going with this theme of emptiness that Mark had brought up. How empty is everything that has not been done for God and with God? I beg of you, mark everything with the seal of love. That is all that remains. Life is such a serious thing. Each minute is given us to root ourselves more deeply in God, according to the expression of St. Paul. And then on... Well, no, wait. Oh, I have you have to, to say something, since don't you? you? Since you threw me that twist, I'm going to have to ask you the question. So... That's a that's a very uh, interesting statement. You're telling me that uh, Blessed Elizabeth is telling us that every single moment of our lives can root me more deeply in this love of God. In other words, I I can't uh, sort of put my religion aside and go to work and put my religion aside and go to the gym. No, life is prayer and prayer is life. No, as Therese would tell us, it's it's in the little details of life. It's in the small little acts throughout the day. Everything that comes comes from the hand of God, whether he permits it or he wills it in particular. Yeah, in fact, the great saints tell us that as much as we desire union with God, God desires that union even more than we do. And in fact, God is working every minute, every hour of every day, in all the events of our life to try to draw us into union. We don't see it like the, the Eucharist. We don't see the veil has covered our eyes. We don't see... Uh, the true body of Christ. We know it's there. We know in, in faith that it's there. Uh, but in all the circumstances, sometimes we see God working in our life, and we'll say, oh, I had one, I had a God moment, or I had a Christ moment, yeah. or I had a spiritual moment. But the reality is every moment is brought to us as an opportunity to deepen us in our love with the Lord. And I don't want to go too far because 
we are going to pick up on that theme, of course, for the balance of the month. All right, and I think saintly people um, have more clarity in being able to see God's action in the lives of themselves and people around them. So, and they become more saintly by having a more intimate relationship with God, and that's through prayer. So, um, well, I have this quote from Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity on purgatory, and I thought that we need to uh, use this tonight since we're going to be discussing her next week. Um, and we have been talking about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and this whole process of purification. So let's, let's hear what Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity says. Quote, Reposing in us is the entire Trinity, that whole mystery which will constitute our vision in heaven. I want to be holy too, holy to make him happy. In the morning, let us awaken in love, beneath his gaze, with him, in him, for him alone. And when evening falls, after a dialogue of love that has never ceased in our heart, let us fall asleep again in love. Perhaps we will see faults and infidelities. Let us abandon them to love. It is a consuming fire. In this way, let us make of his love our purgatory. Well, you know, it's interesting because we've circled back. We've gone uh, to Elizabeth of the Trinity and right back to Therese's quote, I know that the fire of divine love is more sanctifying than the fire of purgatory. But let's pick up on this theme of love, Francis. I think it's important that we go back to Scripture because all the saints' great teachings are grounded in Scripture. If you don't find the evidence and the support for the teachings of the saints in Scripture, um, that, then I question, uh, you know, that, that theology, and I question and am concerned about uh, where that may lead someone. So let's go right back to Scripture, because these great saints, uh, Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity and St. Therese, St. John of the Cross, who we've spoken about, clearly drew their teaching from Scripture. Their writings are riddled uh, with references. They knew Scripture. Absolutely. And in First John four sixteen through 18, now we read a section of this earlier, but we're going to pick up on the, on the larger context of it now. And so we know, St. John writes, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence. There's that word. I love it. Confidence on the day of when? On the day of judgment. Because in this world, we become like him. There is no fear in love. No fear in love. This is the quote we read earlier. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So again, this word confidence comes in, judgment, but it's all overcome by love. Yes, this degree of divine love, it's, it's not achieved with suffering, like we've said in, uh, in previous programs. but uh, in, Exclusively by suffering, right? Right, exclusively. But, and indeed, Therese suffered a great deal. In fact... Uh, what she writes on this topic is this. Um, I have an, a, a long quote on her. Um, she says, Love surrounds and penetrates me. Oh, that's just a wonderful thought, isn't it? And it's true of all of us. It's just that we don't realize it. So let me go back. Love surrounds and penetrates me. At every moment, this merciful love renews and purifies me, leaving no trace of sin in my heart. No, I cannot fear purgatory. I know that I should not deserve to enter that place of expiation along with the holy souls. 
But I also know that the fire of love is more sanctifying than that of purgatory. I know that Jesus cannot desire useless suffering for us, and that he would not inspire me with the desires I feel if he did not wish to fulfill them. How can he possibly let himself be outdone in generosity? How can he purify in the flames of purgatory souls consumed in the fires of divine love? And this is really the centerpiece of her teaching. One, I, I want to uh, go back to this uh, earlier sentence. Jesus cannot desire useless suffering for us. Unfortunately, we sometimes let our suffering go to waste. The yeah. suffering in our life, which comes to all of us, I don't know anybody who's lived any length of time on this earth who hasn't suffered, hasn't gone through trial. And unfortunately, so often, we fail to use the gift that is given us in suffering. Suffering has the capacity, and unfortunately we're not going to go in, as I said, to the lengthy theology of this. It has the capacity, the opportunity to deepen our love in every moment. No moment is wasted if we take advantage of it. But more to the point, what she's really saying here is the fires of purgatory, or those that prepare us uh, for purgatory or perhaps to bypass it, are nothing but love. They're nothing but God's love. And if we've become love through this, now I'm going to use Elizabeth's terminology, in dwelling, then we don't need to go to purgatory. This takes us back to the analogy of St. John of the Cross and the use of the log. Do you remember this? Where he talks about the log becoming uh, inflamed, and, and for a time, uh, a, a fresh log will pop and ooze and whiz and hiss. Blacken. Yeah. And until eventually the embers of the log become the same as the fire. They become exactly the same as the fire. That's union. And therefore... Why would you fear purgatory? It is what you are. In other words, you've passed into God's love. How did Therese get us there? Through simplicity, through childhood, through confidence that God would do this work in her, through disposing herself, and also through one other thing, and that was abandonment. Abandonment to this divine will in every single thing that happened in her life. I remember asking you this question, Francis, some time ago. I said, what do you think it is? What do you think it is that most leads us to God. And I thought you might say prayer or, you know, the sacraments or spiritual direction. I don't know. It could have been any one of another. And you said, no, it's simply accepting every single thing that comes into your life every day and finding a way to transmute that experience into love. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's indifferent, it's all love, it's all grace. And that's what leads us to this divine union. That's exactly what Therese says, all is grace. You know, and and I want to emphasize how Therese wants us to remember that we have a loving Father in Heaven, not a judge. In fact, she got after Sister Marie Fabronia about this, um, because Sister Fabronia was thinking, well, no, you're you're being presumptuous here. And so Therese says, well, my sister, if you look for the justice of God, you will get it. And the soul will receive from God exactly what she desires so let's make sure we desire heaven. Go straight to heaven. That's the, that's the desire. Keep your eyes on Christ and follow him to heaven. Well, I think it's important. That, again, I want to reiterate uh, the theme of this evening, of course, is uh, bypassing purgatory. Right. But in order to do so, we must become, and actually I had a, a priest in spiritual direction offer me this one time, living the state of purgation while we're through this world. And it doesn't mean, you know, everything is horrible and suffering. Again, the warmth of love, you talked about it, being enveloped in that warmth of God's love. Being a living flame of love. Yeah, there will be times, certainly, when we will have trial and tribulation. But we have to see 
the hand of God even in that difficulty, and then we move ourselves towards becoming the ember. You know, the popping and the oozing and the and the and the smoke and so forth has to has to be um, evicted, and then we begin to transform into that ember, and purgatory becomes no more. Well, we want to end this evening with a prayer by Elizabeth of the Trinity. It'll be a nice transition into the balance of the month. Um, it's a somewhat lengthy prayer, but Francis, I'm going to ask you to start off and read the first a section, and then I'll pick up with the second, and then we'll go back third and fourth. Okay. This is her prayer to the Most Holy Trinity. Oh, my God, Trinity, whom I adore, help me to become utterly forgetful of self, that I may establish myself in Thee as changeless and as calm, as though my soul were already in eternity. May nothing disturb my peace, nor draw me forth from Thee, O my immutable Lord, may I penetrate more deeply every moment into the depths of thy mystery. Give peace to my soul. Make it thy heaven, thy cherished dwelling place, thy home of rest. Let me never leave thee there alone, but keep me there, all absorbed in thee, in living faith, adoring thee, wholly yielded up to thy creative action. O my Christ, whom I love, crucified by love, would that I might be the bride of thy heart, would that I might cover thee with glory and love thee, until I die of very love. Yet I realize my weakness, and I beg thee to help me. Immerse me in thyself, possess me wholly, substitute thyself for me, that my life may be but a radiance of thy life. Enter my soul as restorer and as savior, O eternal word, utterance of my God, I long to pass my life listening to thee, to become docile, that I may learn all from thee, through all darkness, all privations, all powerlessness. I yearn to keep my eyes ever fixed on thee, and to dwell beneath thy great light. O my beloved star, so fascinate me that I can no longer withdraw from thy radiance. O consuming fire, spirit of love, come down upon me, and reproduce in me, as it were, an incarnation of the Word, that I may be to him another humanity in which he renews all his mystery. And thou, O Father, bend toward thy poor little creature. Cover her with thy shadow. Behold in her none other than the well-beloved in whom thou art well-pleased. O my three, my all, my beatitude, infinite solitude, immensity in which I lose myself. I yield myself to thee as thy child. Immerse thyself in me, that I may be immersed in thee until I depart to contemplate in thy light the abyss of thy greatness. Amen. Well, we'll be spending the balance of the month of November uh, studying the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity and primarily focusing on this idea of the indwelling of the Trinity in the flame of love. Until then, uh, God bless you all, and thank you for listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home.